0: like to borrow a bible please raise your hand An usher will bring you a bible you can just leave it in the pew when you are done we did something this summer that most of you weren't even here to experience so i want to make sure you understand what i'm talking about we're going to do something called secret church i'm going to put a something up there on the screen in about 3 weeks we're going to do um here's the deal The church is being persecuted around the world, and what's happening among the persecuted churches? they're taking the Word of God very seriously. What we want to do is take the Word of God just as serious as they do while at the same time praying for them. That's what Secret Church is all about, taking the Word of God as serious as the persecuted church does and praying for them at the same time. So what we're going to do is what we did this past summer. It was amazing. Basically a six-hour worship service. About four hours worth of preaching. And the topic we're going to cover this time is angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. So if you ever wanted to study about angels or demons or what does spiritual warfare look like, we're going to have this four-hour teaching time within within the structure of a six-hour time of praying for the persecuted church. We'll have a, a folder for you to follow along. It's going to be really good. We did it this past summer on the atonement. That's the cross of Christ. Yes, it lasted six hours. We'll start around 7. We'll end at 1 a.m. in the morning. Good turnout this past summer. Hopefully, we can double it this past fall so that we can show, uh, in a sense, affinity with the persecuted church and get into the Word of God. The 12th of November, Friday night, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., we'll meet at Evanston Baptist Church. Just keep that in mind. All right, let's turn to the book of Malachi. Turn to the book of Malachi. Today we are at the fourth disputation where the Israelites are guilty of corrupting society and the Lord's going to draw near. Purify people, judge the wicked. A disputation, I don't know if you know what that is, but a disputation is where God confronts the people, the people are like these rebellious kids, they challenge him, and then the Lord explains, it's like an argument, well today the the disputation's going to be kind of reversed here where the people challenge God and then God explains. So let's all stand. Malachi, starting at the end of chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read this to you. We'll start with verse 17 of chapter 2 and read through Malachi 3.5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. And as in former years, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You may be seated? Today's passage has the idea of intervention. Are are you familiar with the idea of intervention? You think about the idea of uh, intervention. It's in the context of a crisis where someone is in a crisis where someone needs help and someone steps in, intervenes, and provides help. Think about those who are suffering through war who need humanitarian intervention or those who are caught up in drugs or alcohol or some type of addiction that needs counseling intervention. There are many ways that people can intervene in the lives of others and help them. So this morning, I'm going to throw a new category in there called divine intervention or the intervention of God. Many of you are familiar with this. When you're going through a time of crisis, pain, suffering, you cry out to God, God, please come and intervene in my circumstances. Come and help me Come and restore this. Heal me. Make this better. Come and intervene. The Israelites during the time of Malachi are at a point right now in their history where they're crying out to God for intervention. God, please come and see what is going on with us and intervene. And what's going on with them is that they are a little dinky piece of land in the vast Persian Empire where the Persians are in control in a sense, they're economically oppressed. Their crops aren't growing. They're struggling financially. And their pagan neighbors are flourishing while they're suffering. They have no army. Their city is pretty much still in ruins with a few rebuilt things. They rebuilt the temple, but there's, God's not dwelling there. And so right now in their history, they're saying, God, come and intervene. We need a divine intervention. But the problem is, they doubt that God even cares they think he just does not care because if he cared he would not let the wicked flourish while they suffer so they're doubting that God is going to intervene in fact they even think in their minds the chatter on the streets the gossip around town is that God endorses evil He is not a just God. He lets evil flourish. And so the chatter and the gossip, it's among the neighbors, it's at at the temple, it's out the town square. All this gossip that God does not care. He is not just. He will not intervene in our cause. God hears it, and he's sick of it. He's sick of their talk. And now we go to the fourth disputation. Look what it says, verse 17 you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The grumbling words are irritating and wearying the Lord. The complaint is that these wicked nations are flourishing while God just sits there and does nothing God even delights in evil. In fact, he endorses justice. This right here is a direct attack on the character of God. A direct attack on his character. And if we are not careful in our minds and in our hearts, we can do a direct attack upon the character of God when things are not going the way we anticipate them going. We can get in the the face of God and say, God, what are you doing? You're not working on my timetable. You're not coming through how I want you to. And you you can challenge him and question him in such a way as the Israelites and attack his character. It's so hard for me as a pastor to study this during the week and not say, wow, this has significant things to do with what's going on in my life. And and I'm sorry to bring it up over and over again because it's just, I want to make sure my heart doesn't go there. But right now, many of you know that we are... uh, adopting a little baby girl from Ethiopia, and every day we are waking up anticipating a call from Africa to tell us, you have a court date, get over here, let's adopt this girl, but every day the phone does not ring. And if we're not careful, if we're not guarding our hearts, we say, come on, God, what are you doing? I mean, we're talking about courts here. Justice, compassion, mercy, you care about those things. If we're not careful... Our hearts can challenge the character of God. Has that been for you? Like when you're waiting for something big to happen and it doesn't seem to be happening. I read this week something very important. It says this The silence of God is not the absence of God. The silence of God is not his absence. Just because you're crying out to God and there doesn't seem to be any movement does not mean that God is absent. He still cares about you. And what we've got to be careful to do is push God and challenge Him on His timetable. And say, God, you need to work on my timetable. You need to get on board with what I'm doing. I had plans here to work out this, and this sequence of event come through. We don't want to push God on His timetable. He will intervene when He chooses to intervene. But what's ironic about this story here? Is these Israelites, their problems are their own fault. God's not intervening because of their sin. And the way he is intervening is through discipline. Their priesthood is corrupt. Their marriages and relationships are corrupt. Their financial dealings are corrupt. And so they're saying, God, why don't you come intervene, bring some justice. And God's like, oh, okay, I'm coming. I'm going to intervene right now. But when I bring justice, I'm just not going to bring it on your pagan neighbors. I'm also going to bring justice right on top of you. Let's watch it. See what happens. Chapter 3, verse 1. They want justice? He'll give it to them. This is the most awesome verse. I think it's one of the most awesome verses in the whole book of Malachi. This is great. Look what he says. Behold, I send my messenger. You want justice? Here it comes. I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm, I'm going to take some time on this first. It's so good. There are three people here. We have the speaker who is God, right? The I. I send my messenger. So we have the speaker is one person, God. We have someone called the messenger who prepares the way. And then we have the messenger of the covenant who is coming. So let's start off with the one who is the messenger, the one who pairs the way. Um, I'm going to put up a verse for you, um, three verses. In Isaiah 43 through 5, this talks about the messenger. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this messenger coming to prepare a way, before a king would enter into a certain city, he would send on a messenger to prepare the way. You could think of a president or of a dignitary coming to town. The the, all the stoplights are changed to green. People are moved out of the way here comes the president, here comes the king and Malachi to his temple. And the question is, who is this messenger that's going to prepare the way for the Lord to come to the temple? I don't have you turning your Bibles much, but keep your finger here. I think you can handle this one. Turn to Matthew. Don't turn far. It's just the next book. All right, Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. Let's figure out who this messenger is. Matthew chapter 3. Keep finger there in Malachi. Matthew 3. Let me read it to you. Matthew 3 and verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Ah, so here's the messenger. The messenger to prepare the way for the Lord, the New Testament tells us, is John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist came, he came preparing a way for the Lord. He came preaching repentance, which would get the people spiritually ready for the coming of the Lord. Right. So we got that one nailed down. The speaker is God, the I. The messenger is John the Baptist. Now turn back to Malachi again. Malachi, back to Malachi. 3, verse 1. Let's figure out who this messenger of the covenant is. Look at one again. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. This is verse 1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It seems like, if I'm understanding this rightly, this is a parallel statement here. The Lord whom you seek, if you see it there, the Lord whom you seek and the messenger of the covenant is the same person. So the one coming to his temple and the one in whom they delight is the same person. In fact, it's not just the same person. It's the same divine person. Who's that talking about? It's it's talking about Jesus Christ. Let me give you an interesting quote here from Thomas the He says, Christ is sent on his mission by God and yet is also God and the flesh. Now, when people during Malachi's time were reading this, do you think they thought to themselves, Aha, we totally understand that it is totally clear to us. But it is for us. I don't know if it was totally, completely clear to them who this Messiah would be. But for us on the other side, knowing that Jesus has come, we know that this is such a clear statement from the Old Testament of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Is that not cool? Did you think we could get the statements of of Jesus being God in the Old Testament? There was one right there. So the people are longing for the intervention of God. God says, I am going to send my messenger ahead and then the messenger of the covenant. The Lord is going to come. John the Baptist is going to come. Then Jesus Christ is going to come. And the people long for this day of the Messiah. The day the Messiah would come would take care of all the wrongs, put things right, crush the wicked, Usher in a period of prosperity. But Malachi says, not so fast. Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Oh, this is good so the people they're longing for the day of the lord to intervene and god's like oh you just wait when i come when i send the lord when i send the messenger of the covering you, you watch when he comes when jesus christ comes he's going to have two purposes one of the purposes is going to be is to purify a people for himself and the other purposes of jesus coming is he's going to judge the wicked we're going to cover both of those for the rest of our time this morning the coming of the lord the coming of jesus was to purify a people for himself and to judge the wicked. Let's start off with the concept of Jesus coming to purify a people for himself. We know that through the life and death of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection, he has saved a people. He has secured a people for his own who are pure and spotless. And people are pure and spotless through Jesus Christ by putting their faith in Him, and His righteousness is credited to them. That means the Father would look at us who believe in Jesus as pure and spotless in His eyes. We're clothed in His righteousness. But as believers, we know that's not the end of the story because our Father in heaven desires us to be holy. He doesn't just look down and say, okay. I see you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I see Jesus' righteousness given to you and your sin given to him. That's that's fine. Now go live however you want. No, no. The Father says when the messenger of the covenant comes, when the Lord comes, he will come and he will purify people, will be saved through the work of Jesus on the cross, but he's also going to sanctify us. He's going to purify us. He's going to refine us. You think of a refiner's fire that is getting rid of all the the junk, the impurity from the metals. And you can can think of a a fuller taking clothes and and washing them, and he's just beating the dirt out of them and and refining and cleansing us through his ongoing work. So for the Christian, do not think you just become a Christian, God views you as righteous, and then he leaves you alone. He's not going to leave you alone. God wants you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and that conforming comes through refining. And sometimes it's painful. And the reason why He refines us is for worship. Keep looking, keep looking. Verse 3 and 4, look at this. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So if we're putting this all together, we have the messenger of the covenant in whom they delight, the Lord, he's going to come. And he's going to intervene in the lives of his people and he's going to intervene as a, as a refiner and a purifier. And the image here that we have is of these priests, these, these priests, who need to be purified and they need to bring offerings and righteousness to the lord and it's not just the priests. if you look in verse four it's judah and jerusalem will bring offerings that will be pleasing to the lord which i believe represents the people of god and if you remember from uh, chapter one verse eleven God's goal is to create a people from the nations who are purified who are going to worship him with pure offerings and if you think this language of offerings and sacrifices all Old Testament let me throw some New Testament verses at you to talk about uh, offering and sacrificial languages of worship language of worship in the New Testament let me put up Hebrews 13 15. Hebrews 13 15 says this through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Or consider Romans 12.1. How about this one? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I know I'm kind of flying through this really fast. I'm just getting really excited about it. But let me just put it to you straight. God enhances worship through refining and purifying his people. Throughout the book of Malachi, we've been singing this song, Love Like Fire. And I know you've been singing it. I appreciate it. You sing it great. But you're maybe in the back of your mind going, This is weird. Your love is like fire. That sounds painful. So painful that it's a purifying fire. That is, it's going after our worship. God is going after our hearts. His love is like fire so that we can worship him. It burns away the junk and the, and, and the sin in our lives. But did you know that God is just not after holy worship in here in the, in the sense of singing loud and, and jubilance with an undivided heart? He wants you to have an undivided heart in life. So he wants you to worship in here, but also worship in holiness So he will come with his refining fire and he'll see the sinful behavior and patterns in our lives and he will burn those through the gospel of Jesus. He'll bring conviction. He'll bring forgiveness. He'll bring grace. But when this fire comes into our life, there will be pain involved. Would you not say that the times in your life that you've grown more than any other times has often come through trials, pain, suffering, fire. It's not that you said, oh Lord, I cannot wait for the fire to come next. But you must admit, you are who you are today as a Christian because you have submitted to the fire of God in your life. It's not been the most enjoyable experience in your life. But God has done some good, sanctifying, conforming you to Jesus through suffering. Some of you wouldn't even be here right now if you were not going through hard times. You wouldn't even be here. You'd be continuing the same patterns that you already had established, and, and, and yet God had to get your attention. And now you're here and you just happen to be listening better. Before, you weren't listening very good, didn't care much about God, but then some trial came and it awakened you. That's what God does in our lives. And you think, he's just being so mean to me. He's not being mean to you. He's trying to give you the greatest love and joy ever, and it's in him. And the one of the ways he's got to do that is to get your attention through trials and pain. But it's not his wrath. It's not his wrath. It's something called his discipline or his refining fire. Let me share a couple New Testament verses with you. Let's put up 1 Peter 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or let's consider this Hebrews 1, in Hebrews 12, 5 through 10. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. As children, we never walk up to our parents and say, Would you please discipline me? I feel my heart being very wayward right now, and I could use some good discipline. Please, right now, give it to me. No, it's, it's not pleasant when it happens, and yet the results are beneficial after the end, and so it is with children of God. When he intervenes and disciplines us, we share in his holiness, and when he intervenes, he does it because he loves us. He desires our full heart to worship him and to walk in holiness. And I want to just say this. If you're a child of God, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, God will intervene in your life whether you give him permission or not. Whether you give him permission or not. Uh, You may be sitting there right now and you have sins in your life. You really do. You might not call them sins right now, but maybe you will later. Right now, you're not calling them sins. But you're struggling with stuff, you have issues, sins, idols, and you're waiting to deal with them at another time. Maybe you're waiting for the semester to be over with. You know, the Christmas break, good old time—is a Christmas break to deal with sins. What a great Christmas present. Or maybe you're waiting for the summer or for another season of life. When I finally get to that season, then I'm going to be in a better place and then I'm going to deal with my, my sins. I'll wait till then. God doesn't work like that. He loves you. He wants your heart today. He doesn't say, you just can't treat someone like that. You would never, if you're married, you would never say to someone, you know what, I love you, but I'm just going to diss you for the next month. I'm, I'm going to be so mean to you. I'm going to just do terrible things to you in about a month. Then I'm going to be so nice to you. Would that go good in marriage to do that? No. Then why would you do that to God? Why would you say, God, you know what? I'm liking my sin right now, but I'm going to love you in about a month. No. And God sees that. And he says, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. That's why I'm going to intervene in your life. I'm going to come like a refiner's fire because I love you. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But when that pain and that trial comes, guess what? It's grace. It's God's grace drawing us back to him so we worship and love him alone. So the good news, my brothers and sisters, is if you are a Christian, praise God. He will discipline you. He will refine you. He will purify you. That is good news. It doesn't feel like good news, but believe me, it is. Because if God is not refining you, is not disciplining you, is not purifying you, then you are not his child. And one day, you'll face his judgment. And that's what the next part's about. The last part is about his judgment. He's going to intervene for purification of a people, but he's also going to intervene to judge. And that's what we're going to talk about in verse 5. Now, for those of you who are really concentrating on this passage, it's kind of confusing. Before we read verse 5, you've got to know what prophets do in the Old Testament. When, when they look out into the future and they're, and they're prophesying when God is speaking through them, they see the Messiah coming and they just say, He's coming. But they are not necessarily making distinctions between the first and the second coming of Jesus. It just Sometimes it just blends all together and you're like, well, what? Are you talking about the first or the second coming? Which, which one are you talking? And it, it kind of just blends all together. But for us, we see it because we've experienced the new testament jesus christ has come so when jesus came the first time he did not bring in the sense immediate judgment on the people on this earth he put judgment upon sin and taking it upon the cross but his first coming was an intervention of grace and mercy right when we say the first coming of jesus on the cross his life grace mercy to open to all that would repent and believe but his second coming will be judgment. It will be just judgment. And if you are an unbeliever in here, let's put it this way. If you are someone in here who has yet to believe, just, just think a little bit more positively here, you've yet to believe, you need to know. Now is the time for you to experience the intervention of God's grace. Now is the time to say, okay, Father, I of my sin I receive your forgiveness now's the time for the intervention of God's grace because if you're not going to take this intervention then his next intervention is judgment let's look at it verse 5 then I will draw near to you yes you even you Israel for judgment I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see that? We have seven sins mentioned here, all the way from sorcery, to the oppression of others. And basically, you can sum these sins up by the very last phrase, they do not fear me. When people sin, over and over again like this, in defiance to God, they believe that God is never going to punish them. There's just no way. So they plat- practice magic in the black arts because psh, God's never going to punish them. They live lives of adultery and sexual immorality because there will be no consequences. <laughs> they, They... they they, they squash their laborers, the day laborers, because huh, who cares? God doesn't see. They tell lies because God, God doesn't see. They oppress the orphans and the widows and the sojourner, the most vulnerable people in the history of Israel that God cares about. They don't care because they do not fear God. And what does he say? I'm going to come to you in judgment. And when Jesus comes the second time, or you die without Christ and you face the wrath of God, there will be judgment. I'm about to do something because I think you're smart enough to handle it. If I didn't think you were smart enough to handle it, I would not do this. But you're smart. Even if you're kind of like me, not very smart at all, you can handle this, all right? There is a flip side of this judgment we're talking about a purification of a people and we're talking about a judgment of the wicked. I still don't think you understand what I'm talking about or what God's talking about when he talks about a purification of a people. So I want you to understand, what would your life really look like if God purified you? And I think it would look like a flipped verse 5. And we'll flip it here in a second. We're going to flip verse 5 as a distinct community of people that actually Live out the positives of verse 5 and not the negatives. Uh, a distinct community that worships the Lord with all of their lives. What I don't think we understand is that when, when God intervenes, he doesn't just change an individual. He changes a community. Too many times you, you think you come to church because a church is an individual rehab center. You come in here and you say, okay, I'm, I'm here for the rehab. Take me in for the overhaul, and it's just, it's just about me church is more than an individual rehab center it's supposed to be a a called out people who are ready to change the world and you're going to talk about this tonight in your your ethos communities for those of you don't know what that is it's like your small groups you're going to talk about this because too many times this is one of the things It's one of the quotes you're going to hear tonight too many times in church or in small groups we think that these venues or your small group is just an occasion for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. Like, what's your motive for even coming here or for going to a small group ethos community? Is it because you want to focus on yourself in the presence of others? There's nothing wrong with your own personal growth, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with your own personal rehab, absolutely. But too many times we think, it's just all about me. It's all about my personal piety when the reality is that God has changed you, purified you, refined you to not have you focus on yourself and how good of a worship you are, but to turn outward and go and change the world. Listen to this from Matthew 5, 14. You know these. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are to live within a community in a distinct way as a sanctified person who's been purified and you're part of community and you go out and you impact others. It's not just about your own individual rehabilitation. It is that and more. So let's flip it. Let's be mature here. Let's flip it. What would a purified people look like? All right, flip verse 5. This is what God does not want in verse 5. Well, let's flip it. What would it look like? All right, well, instead of sorcerers, we would have people smashing idols and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ alone instead of the adulterers or sexually immoral people, if God comes in and refines this congregation, refines these individuals in here, we will have single people in this room living sexually pure lives. And we have married people in here having eyes just for one another as a community. If God comes and refines this body of Christ, individuals and corporately, we have purity reigning here. Lying. Well, instead of lying, flip it. People will be speaking the truth. People will be speaking the truth to one another no matter how painful it is. People will be looking at their own lives and kicking out the lies they have believed no matter how painful it is. This will be a truth-speaking congregation because the truth will set you free. Oh, look at the oppression. Of the hired worker well instead of oppression let's replace that with fair business practices let's replace that with those of you who are in your jobs those of you who own your businesses treating your employees with fairness treating your fellow students with fairness not to see how much you can get from them but to serve them and the widow here well the widow is not going to be shoved aside let's just stick them someplace so we don't have to see them anymore and that they'll be cared for And the fatherless or the orphan will no longer be marginalized, but the church will step out and take care of orphans in their time of need. And the sojourner will not be cast aside as a worthless immigrant or a worthless foreigner, but who will be embraced by the church because we are sojourning on this earth. And we will not be a people who do not fear God. I would love for us to be a people who say, you know what? I will reap what I sow. I fear God in a healthy way. There will be consequences for my sin, and I believe that. So what if we were just this purified people living purified lives as individuals and as a church for the glory of God? Well, it's going to come through pain, suffering, refining, purifying. It's like God took me Many years ago when he saved me at 19. And he said, Jason, I am going to use you. But first, I got to break you. I wish it was just a one-time breaking. But it tends to be a continual breaking. And it's a good thing. But if God is going to use you, he's going to break you. Because he wants your heart completely. He wants all of you to worship all of him. He doesn't say, okay, just give me that portion. He wants all of your life. And he's going to purify you and love you. and refine you and break you. So the way I see it, every single person in here has a choice to make right now. Every person in here has a choice. And I believe it's a daily choice right now. You can invite God to intervene in your life, all areas. Or you can ignore him. If you're a believer, have fun. If you want to ignore God and ignore stuff in your life, he loves you too much to leave you alone. He loves you so much. He wants you... To Just know him completely. He wants you to walk with him. He will, he will come after you in a loving way. I'm not trying to like go, oh, no, God's going to get me. No. He loves you. And so if he loves you and he cares for you, rather than wait for him to come after you, how about just say, okay, Lord, today's the day. Come on in. Nothing's off limits anymore. Intervene kick out what you need to kick out, kick out what needs to go, bring me the grace, healing, forgiveness, all access. Intervene, Lord. And what you'll find is grace. What you'll find is love. What you'll find is joy. Beforehand, you think this is scary. What if I turn this over to God? What if I repent of this? What if I receive forgiveness? You think it's not going to work. Oh, no, my life will be miserable. Maybe initially, but on the other side is much joy and much grace because the refiner loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, you want your people in here to want you and I know that you want all of them, and you want all of them to worship all of you. And I ask that you would intervene in the lives right now, specifically uh, intervene in the lives of the women in here, where comfort needs to be there. Give them comfort today. Where, where grace needs to be there, give them grace, mercy. Give them mercy. Where they need, um, where they need a rebuke, uh, a correction, by your Holy Spirit right now, I ask that you would correct the women in here and show them healing and love and forgiveness and restoration and for the men in here I just ask Lord that you would break us break us in, in a way that, that is sweet where we'll just sense your love and grace and mercy I want to be forgiven in Jesus not to hide anymore but be forgiven in Jesus And, Lord, may we not just make this about our own individual rehabilitation. May you turn us outward. May we be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. May the world see our good works and give glory and praise to you, our Father in heaven. Do a work among us in us right now. In Christ's name, amen. His first coming was an intervention of grace and mercy, right? When we say the first coming of Jesus on the cross,